Can't get a date? Try Wizard. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for lonely hearts. Potter, the champions and their partners. What partners? Your partners for the Jewel Ball, Potter. Your dance partners. Dance partners? I don't dance. Oh, yes, you do. That's what I'm telling you. Traditionally, the champions and their partners open the ball. So, make sure you get yourself a partner, Potter. But I don't... You hurt me, Potter. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And welcome to another episode of the Quibbler Podcast, reading Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, in which there are approximately ten full plots we are <laughs> learning. Uh, an entire alphabet of A plot, B plot, yeah, through, that's true. Z, through Z plots. So actually, that's 26 plots, as I learned from Sesame Street. This week, we're reading the chapters The House Elf Liberation Front and The Unexpected Task. You will hear swear words. You will hear mad spoilers. And we've got some good adult themes this week. They are experimental fashion, organized labor, Stockholm Syndrome, boy-girl parties, and giggling. There's so much giggling. What happened this week? In this week's chapters, the Gryffindors throw one of their trademark all-night non-alcoholic ragers to (laughs) celebrate Harry's triumph in the first task of the Triwizard Tournament. There's more scrooting with the scroots in Care of Magical Creatures class they're getting very out of control. Um, what do they do again? They like... They just like burn everybody up and fucking pinch them and yeah. sting them and pincer them and give them boils. You name it, the Scroots do it. Uh, yeah, basically. All things they, that hurt. They are foul. Hangnails. They probably give the kids hangnails. Paper cuts. Yeah. <laughs> paper cuts like underneath oh. your nails. I'm sorry. Did I think everybody listening just went, oh. Everyone's turning off the podcast right now. Sorry, guys, but that's like the worst. (laughs) Anyway. Rita Skeeter crashes the lesson. She wants to interview Hagrid for the zoological column, which doesn't seem like it's a thing. Yo, but I would read the fuck out of the Daily Prophet zoological column. Don't you feel like that would be lit? It would be. But it's, I don't think it's real. That's a ruse. That's what we call a ruse. Yes. So Harry and the gang are rightly concerned about this, but they let Hagrid book the interview anyway. I mean, Hagrid is not great with his words at the best of times. This is an abjectly terrible idea. And so it turns out to be. (laughs) Um, Wait, one note about that, though. The amount of times that Hagrid has let these three children walk into mayhem and peril, I think, like, they don't owe him shit. This is true. They're just sending him into the forbidden forest of the media. Hermione figures out how to get down into the Hogwarts kitchens from Fred and George, who let it slip during aforementioned all-night non-alcoholic rager. She really wants to take Ron and Harry down there to show them something they think it's to do more community organizing for Spew and, I don't know, it's sort of a fact-finding mission, right, for Spew? She's been down there talking with the house elves in the kitchens, but she drags Harry and Ron down to the kitchens, which are accessible via a painting of fruit, and you have to tickle the pear, which then chuckles and turns into a green doorknob, which is a legit way to enter a room. <laughs> it's really true. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Uh, Fred was like, wasn't it apparent how you get in? Oh my God. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> that was strong. <laughs> Down in the kitchens, duh, 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 motherfucking Dobby returns. We learn that Dobby has secured employment, gainful employment with the Hogwarts kitchen, along with his pal, Winky. Apparently all house elves know each other. So Winky, who, in case you've forgotten, was let go by Barty Crouch Sr. earlier in the book after the imbroglio at the World Cup. So Dobby is now 
he's getting paid. He had to go to Hogwarts to get a job because nobody else wants to hire a house elf who actually works for money. He's got some pretty sweet fashion sense now. He's What are all the things he's wearing? He's wearing like a tie with horseshoes on it and mismatched socks. One of them is Harry's liberation sock that he used to free him from the Malfoys. He's got a tea cozy as a hat. Yeah. And he's wearing some kind of shorts. I can't remember what he's wearing on. I think they're like athletic shorts. Oh, they might be like, yeah, they're like, yeah. So basically he just dresses like I did in college. (laughs) Tie with no shirt, basketball (laughs) shorts, and a tea cozy hat. And mismatched socks. That's the man I I fell in love with. I was mostly thinking the like athletic shorts that you just shouldn't like wear. Out of the house. To school or anywhere, really, except the gym and basketball. Your socks are regularly mismatched in your adult life, so in that way, you and Dobby have a lot in common. Are they really? Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. When? Your shirt is on backwards and your socks are two different I mean, socks. This is yeah, but I don't leave the house like that. Usually. That this is this is a gross exaggeration. I don't know if that's true. Sometimes I, think... I put my shirt on backwards. The you socks often thing... have like two different colors. they're like it's not like egregious like they're different patterns, but like they're two different color black and one is way higher than the other. Yeah, but I'm wearing pants. Okay, no, that's true. Alright. You're this right. Got... This became like marital. <laughs> Uh, and this is what the rest of the episode will be about. We're just going to have all our, like, miniature fights on air. <laughs> it's not even a fight. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, no. go on. Way to sock it to me. <laughs> Good God, Lemon. Go Sorry. on. Did I just put my foot in my mouth? Oh, my Lord, Alexi. Okay. We have to keep going. Uh, <laughs> Winky, on the other hand, is not so thrilled to be a free elf. She basically cries the entire chapter. She's weeping and wailing. She's not happy that Dobby is taking wages because she sees it as disgraceful. All the other house elves in the kitchens are super happy to bring snacks to the trio, but are very leery of Dobby, who seems to have some radical ideas. So... The gang leaves the kitchen. Harry tells Dobby he can visit whenever he wants. Dobby's super hella fucking psyched. And that's the end of that chapter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Abrupt transition to transfiguration class where Harry and Ron are playing sword fights with fake wands. Yeah, like little babies. Yeah. Professor McGonagall is not here for that and turns their wands into a haddock and a parrot no uh, respectively. that's their trick wands that's what yeah, they I know. turn the into trick wands oh the she trick wands turn into that oh i thought them. she had transfigured them into so. Wait, pause for a sec let me look that up we spliced out the time it took me to look it up but the verdict is it is unclear whether she transfigures them or whether that's what the trick wands do so i don't know i think this is neither here nor there Yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, Professor McGonagall calls them out in a very stern, McGonagall-ish fashion, because, one, why are they acting like that? Because they're babies. Yeah. They're Um, baby boys. Well, (laughs) great way to set the scene for this particular episode. Yeah. (laughs) Because McGonagall, it turns out, has something very serious to say. There is going to be a ball as part of the Triwizard Tournament, the traditional Yule Ball. Ba ba ba, motherfucking boy-girl party. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never done the ba ba ba, motherfucking. That was that fun. was a good use of it. Thank you. Go on. So, McGonagall tells them all about this motherfucking boy-girl party. Class dismissed. Titter titter titter. The first of many giggles erupt. McGonagall pulls Potter aside and says. Yo, it's traditional for the Triwizard Champions to open the ball with the dance. So you need to find yourself a date. <laughs> yep. And hijinks ensue. Now we enter the rom-com phase of the Harry Potter sequence. I mean, because this book has Every, everything. Yeah, it has literally everything. So this is the unexpected task. One minute Harry's fighting dragons, the next he's fighting his own 
inner demons, his nervousness about asking girl to the dance, and he thinks maybe the dragon wasn't so bad compared to uh, this task this I fucking now have to do. Gauntlet, man. Mm-hmm. So. Most of this chapter is just nervously walking through hallways, listening to people giggling and wondering what to do. Harry wants to ask Cho, Cho Chang, the Ravenclaw Seeker, and he's super nervous. He finally gets up the gumption to ask her, but oh man, she's going to the dance with Cedric Diggory. So Harry goes from abject terror to just total despondency and decides again that he hates Cedric after kind of starting to like him. So Ron and Harry really struggling to find uh, dates. They're working this out with her. I'm probably messing up some of the order of events. They well, like- no, I was just going to say, Harry's struggling to find a date because he has a particular person in mind who he's into. Oh, that's so true. So he turns down a bunch of people. Right. Ron is a loveless moron <laughs> who cannot for the life of him treat a woman like a, a girl, who cannot for the life of him treat a girl like a human fucking being, and he's got zero prospects in the world, right. and he's being a dickbag to Hermione. I'm sorry so, to editorialize during the summary. <laughs> so Harry has suitors. Ron is just kind of waffling. Eventually, in a moment of... How would you describe this moment? In a moment of temporary insanity, he asked Fleur Delacour to... <laughs> I forgot about that. Fuck. The ball. <laughs> she doesn't even say no to him. She just, like, looks at him, and she doesn't even give him the cold shoulder. The cold shoulder would be, like, too much of a response. So this happens about the same time that Harry is shut down. Not shut down. Harry is let down gently by Cho, who seems like she would have gone with Harry if, if he'd he had first. asked first. Yeah. But Harry fucking diddle-daddled, diddle-whittle-wet, <laughs> dilly-dallied. <laughs> Harry fucking dilly-dallied. <laughs> Why couldn't I remember that? Harry dilly-dallied on (laughs) the dating circuit, on the Hogwarts dating circuit. Ron's like, look, I've got it figured out. You go with Ginny, Harry. Hermione will go with me. Hermione's like, "Uh, I have a date, so that's a big mystery. She won't say who. Wonder who that could be. And Ginny is going with Neville. So... Harry resolves to solve this problem. He's going to ask basically the next girl who walks into the Gryffindor common room. Lavender Brown and Pavardi Patil walk in. Lavender's already got a date. She's going with Seamus Finnegan. Pavardi says yes, she'll go with Harry, and she'll try to hook Ron up with her twin sister, Padma, who's in Ravenclaw. And that's what happened in this week's chapters. So there's some weird golden trio dynamics in these chapters. How do you figure? So I guess I sort of understand this, but Harry has just wholesale forgiven Ron. There's no discussion of the fact that Ron was an utter lunatic and such a dick to him for multiple weeks. And now Ron is like, all the fuck in on the Triwizard Tournament. All of a sudden, he's like, Harry, I think you might, like, win this whole thing. And Harry's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, maybe I'm just a more vindictive person. (laughs) But, like, if I were Harry, I would still be a little stung. Well, so Joe is emphasizing that Harry's noticing this, but he's choosing to ignore it. Yeah, I guess that's true. A few times she points that out but i mean he's still choosing to ignore it that's how much he missed ron he's totally willing to overlook this or he's not it's not worth fighting about anymore i don't know um i don't don't know what it says about Harry. i think it's i think it's true that it's he has decided it's not worth fighting. i mean obviously yeah he has decided that it's not worth fighting about i think it sort of speaks to harry's fears of abandonment yeah because he just doesn't ever feel like he has any right to express emotions that are anything except like 100% positive toward the people he cares about because he's afraid that they'll leave and he'll never see them again. So I think 
kind of unconsciously in the chapters where Ron wasn't speaking to him, this fear settled in Harry of, oh, Ron might be gone forever. I might never speak to him again. This might be it for the most important relationship in my life currently. Because that's been true for him a lot of times before. Right. So I do think that there's something in Harry that is a little bit prone to giving in like in interpersonal conflicts and this like changes and I'm actually kind of proud of him because this changes big time in book five and everybody talks about how stupid and moody Harry is in book five but I think Harry finally kind of stands up for himself when his friends don't do great as friends and it also I think it says a lot about me because I would be pissed at Ron I would at very least be like you need to walk me through the lunacy that caused you to believe that I did this on purpose. I mean, we know Harry's a pretty generous spirited person. He is. I know. I'm, I mean, I'm proud of him, except that I'm just really irritated at Ron in these chapters and I want him to be punished. I mean, he, he could hold it against Dobby that he caused all his bones in his arm to basically be vanished. Yeah. You know, and he pretty much lets that slide because he can see where people are coming from. Well, he also understands that Dobby did that out of the, conditions of abject servitude that's true but no i mean i think you're right harry's generous to his friends i guess the thing that bothers me most is that harry's way of kind of reconnecting with ron and getting back into the kind of like foundations of their friendship is their dicks to hermione yeah that's that's what i was about they like triangulate against hermione but ron is definitely constantly looking for any opportunity he can to get a dig in at Hermione. He's repeatedly throwing her under the bus to, I guess, reestablish himself as the dominant. As like the best friend. Yeah. But Harry, I'm st- I'm so annoyed with him because he doesn't stand up for Hermione, despite the fact that Hermione is the only person that's been there for him through this whole thing. Hagrid, like, to some extent, but Hermione is the one who saw him through and she provides so much support and so much anchoring in his life and he's just, like, he doesn't say anything when Ron says all of this really bitchy, mean stuff to her. So Hermione in the amidst the, like, big celebration, points out that maybe Harry should start thinking about the next task. He has to unlock the egg, which he tries, and it makes a horrible screaming racket, uh, which I did not mention in the summary. And (laughs) Ron's like, can't you let it be? He's like, earned a break. And she says, the next one might be super, even more dangerous. You don't know what's next. And Uh, He says something to the effect of, well, you're a super ray of sunshine, aren't you? Okay, first of all, Hermione is 150% correct that Harry should try to figure out the egg before, like, February 1st. Because it turns out it's a crazy task and he almost fucking drowns. (laughs) Hermione should have been like, bitch, I'm the reason Harry didn't get cremated. I mean, that's the thing, is (laughs) Hermione just, she's so self-possessed. That she doesn't, she doesn't usually lash out that way. She probably recognizes that this is Ron and Harry's like bonding moments, so and she doesn't want to get in the way of that Ugh. because she was trying to facilitate this whole reconciliation for the last like five chapters. Yeah, I know. It's just good for her, bad for them. Also, the thing where he's like, "Oh, you're a real ray of sunshine." It's like, okay. You thought that Harry had stabbed you in the back, figured out how to hoodwink Dumbledore and the most, one of the like most powerful magical objects in the world, uh, not. (laughs) And you kind of wanted to see me get eaten by that dragon until the very moment at which you saw me almost get eaten by that dragon and Hermione's attitude is the problem? Please. Yeah, I know. Bitch, please. <laughs> and then later on, he says something like, I hope Professor Vector gave Hermione a shit ton of homework because I love it when she has work and we don't, which... Yeah. I don't I, know. It's silly. It's, Ron's being... He's just being really mean. And I think you're right. He, I think you're. that's such an astute observation that he's he's reasserting the dominance of Harry and his friendship. He's still... He's saying, like, in the, like, hierarchy of this trio, I am Harry's person and you are, like, secondary. He's, like, making it for lost time, he's, I like, guess. He's, like, peeing I don't on know. Harry. He's just peeing all over him to mark his territory. Ew. Well... 
People use that metaphor. That's true. They do cross swords. They (laughs) They do cross swords. So let's move on to a character we actually like these chapters. Dobby the house elf. He's back. He's better than ever. He's pulling down a salary. He makes a galleon a week. That's about $49 purchasing power, as we discussed in Capital in the Wizarding World. So 200-ish a month in American dollars. Not amazing, but... He actually turned down a higher salary because, well, I don't know. Why do you think he did that? Dumbledore offered him 10 galleons, which is 500 a week, which isn't amazing either. So that's about $24,000 a year that Dumbledore offered with weekends off. Dobby only accepted one day off a month. That's a weird thing Dobby does, but Dobby is in control of his own destiny now. So we get a peek into that. And how much is Professor Dumbledore paying you, Winky? Hermione asked kindly. If she had thought this would cheer up Winky, she was wildly mistaken. Winky did stop crying, but when she sat up, she was glaring at Hermione through her massive brown eyes, her whole face sopping wet and suddenly furious. Winky is a disgraced elf, but Winky is not yet getting paid. She squeaked. Winky is not sunk so low as that. Winky is properly ashamed of being free. Ashamed? said Hermione blankly. But, Winky, come on. It's Mr. Crouch who should be ashamed, not you. You didn't do anything wrong. He was really horrible to you. But at these words, Winky clapped her hands over the holes in her hat, flattening her ears so that she couldn't hear a word, and screeched, You is not insulting my master, miss. You is not insulting Mr. Crouch. Mr. Crouch is a good wizard, miss. Mr. Crouch is right to sack bad Winky. Winky is having trouble adjusting, Harry Potter, squeaked Dobby confidentially. Winky forgets she is not bound to Mr. Crouch anymore. She is allowed to speak her mind now, but she won't do it. Okay, first of all... We do this less often than most people who love Harry Potter, but shout out to Dumbledore. Like, big, fat shout out to Dumbledore. Given the fact that house elves um, are enslaved, that's actually a really generous offer that he makes to Dobby. He makes Dobby feel welcome. He makes Dobby understand that he's not asking for too much. He's really kind and um, really generous with Dobby. I super admire that. He's also, like, willing to take in, like, all these kind of like misfit toys. Like he has Winky working in the kitchen. He offers to pay her too. She turns it down. That flips her out. But still, so he's like the only wizard other than Hermione that has full more said it makes sense to pay these creatures and treat them like laborers. Yeah, but I mean... Like wage workers rather than slaves. The flip side of that is he's not paying any of the other house elves. Well, he... Or giving them clothes. Well, but the thing is, like, so that's where I think even Dobby, like, Dobby refuses to take, like, a real salary. Mm Mm-hmm. Because for Dobby, it's only symbolic. And, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't need the money. He buys clothes with it, which is, like, adorable. But it's, it's just a symbol of his freedom. I don't know. It's gotten really complicated because now we're finding, you can't, force people elves whatever into accepting what you have decided is the correct lot for them so this chapter actually really complicated my idea of house elves because i still think it's like super fucked up but winky is mortified and devastated at the prospect of being paid and so clearly forcing her to take wages would cause significantly more emotional damage than letting her continue to work for free. And the same thing with all the other house elves. It seems like they would be like at best horribly insulted and at worst devastated if they were given clothes. Okay, so it's complicated because it's a little Stockholm syndrome-y. Well, the kind of merry enslaved person is a trope like way down through the centuries. Yeah. You know, the, the, the sort of jolly, we're happy to work. Yeah. We just love helping. It's it's pretty minstrelly. Yeah, there's some, there's some like, minstrelsy. Even Dobby's freedom with the kind of silly hats he buys. And yeah. he doesn't 
want too much freedom because that would be threatening to everyone. To the status quo. Mm-hmm. Right. He's sort of the ideal like free person elf. who's been freed because he's not asking for much more. He doesn't want... He doesn't even want equal wages. He actually demands lesser wages than anyone else would. So I, I, I don't know... I don't know what Joe's doing here because, I mean, they, they make sense as sort of building up Dobby as like a comical character, but she's also talking about slavery here, which is basically the most serious thing you could possibly talk about. It's among them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, this... Slaves as like comic relief is not the best look. And it's also like... Dobby isn't going and getting a profession that isn't, like, household servitude. It's not like Dobby gets freed and he's like, it would be rad if I became a fucking actuary. Or went to Hogwarts. Or, right, or got an education. I don't, there's no wizard actuaries. That was, like, the first, like, (laughs) funny profession that came to mind. Like, it's just really funny to imagine Dobby in one of those, like, green visors. Yes. But anyway, yeah. I guess there's goblin actuaries. That's true. But yeah, he doesn't go to Hogwarts. Like, it's not like he gets educated. He just remains a kitchen servant with this, like, paltry salary. So I do think Dumbledore, within the confines of a system that we've talked about lots and lots, is really bad. Yeah. He, I do think that that's generosity of spirit on Dumbledore's part. And I think he is, he's nuanced enough to understand, I'm giving Dumbledore a lot of credit here, he's nuanced enough to understand that he can't, just willy-nilly pay house elves without, like, I mean, you'd have to, like, deprogram them is the the hard thing. Like, you'd have to, it's like that book you read about the Soviet Union. It's like Mm -hmm. secondhand time. Yeah, a little bit. You're right. Um, You have to to get deprogrammed from these kinds of, like, subjugations. Secondhand time, real quick, is an oral history of the end of the Soviet Union, and a lot of the people in it, who are interviewed are struggling to adapt to capitalist society and they find receiving wages to be like really jarring and often upsetting because that's just never how they thought about work. So the capitalists are coming in, the like economists from University of Chicago and telling them that this is better. Some of them are psyched because it means blue jeans and others think it's like, a cultural affront to them because that's not how they grew up. I mean, it's also hilarious that so, you say blue jeans because, like, Dobby's first yeah. thing. Dobby wants mm-hmm. clothes. Dobby wants like cool clothes. That's an interesting. That's an interesting analogy. I hadn't really thought about that. Well, because I mean, I guess the thing that we learn, I to me, the thing that we take away from this chapter is a like, yeah, there's some bullshit slave tropes going on here that I I dislike. To me, this chapter shows the limits of using these books for. Have real world allegories because you end up in a ridiculous place really fast. Yeah, it's with true. the house elves. No, I think you can learn a lot. I mean, I think there's like a we we've, we talk about this constantly. There's a complex and tapestried moral universe, but you're right that if you try to do like a one to one, and we, I mean, you know, this is something that we're running into doing this podcast is if you do try to do like one to one analogies between the wizarding and muggle world, you do get in these crazy pretzels like with the house elves. Yeah, but I do think. What I learn... Because house elves would be a terrible way to depict, like, actual, actual enslaved slavery. people. Except, okay... Like, it'd be, I, be really offensive. Well, I mean, it is really offensive. Like, this is a fairly offensive chapter. It's also delightful, which is the problem. Yeah. Is that you're supposed to get joy from Dobby as a character and from, you know, these sweet beings that want to bring you tea. You know, like, you're they're supposed to be perceived as... Like, sweet and generous little friends. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so I do take have one takeaway, which is that you can't just overnight be like, okay, now everybody gets paid and you'll have clothes and we fixed it. It's, like, so much more systemic than that. And that, I think, actually is a pretty strong analogy to yeah. slavery, but also any kind of, like, ideological, like, oppression. is you You don't get to just say, like, one day, like, Okay, bye. Like, you're free. It's fine. I mean, people have trouble readjusting after life incarcerated, even if, like, freedom is all you want in the world, which at sort of, like, a consciousness level for house elves isn't the case. But even if it is the case, you have to be sort of, like, profoundly retaught to live 
in society after an experience like this. So like Hermione just like knitting them hats is like, God bless her. And it's a really like, it's a cool instinct, but it's not going to work because you have to completely redo how these creatures think about themselves. And you can't do that for them. Right. Yeah. That's not your place. Right. Or I guess that's the ethic. That's the ethical question. question. And that to me is the more interesting thread that runs this entire book is how much does Hermione have the right to go proselytize? Hey, where's Hermione right and where is she wrong? And I think that that's like an open question, you know, because you could kind of read Hermione as almost saying, we will in fact be greeted as liberators when we go to uh, the Hogwarts kitchen. But she's also, she's a kid and she's identified injustice. And I think you, like, I think Hermione gets some space here. Yeah. Because she's a 14 year old. She is aware enough of like, stratifications in society and like the existence of oppression to see that this is a, a flawed system and I, I'm gonna give her credit for that yeah, she's, well, she's figuring it out she's figuring it out she's a kid I think most people who have that kind of experience of like having their eyes open to oppression they go through the phase where they don't have a lot of nuance on like what that means right the other thing though that it kind of reminds me of Dobby's like a union salt a little bit. And so she's psyched that Dobby is there. Yeah. She's um because she's the other way you can view her as an as an attempted emancipator, and I think that's partly what she is, but you can also just view her as like a labor organizer. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's like complicated in a different way because that's something that happens all the time. People go into like factories that aren't unionized and that are resistant to unionization. And, you know, there's this perception among like liberals, especially kind of like old school Bernie type liberals. I actually don't mean that in a remotely disparaging way. I just mean that there are liberals who aren't labor oriented who say these people are voting against their own interests if they're voting not to organize and we have to like educate them. And that's patronizing. But it's also like true. So I I just think the idea like it's just this is all really, really complicated. Like how do you convince people that they are making choices against their own interests without like paternalistically determining what their interests are. Yeah. I don't think there's any simple answer to that. No, certainly there's not a simple answer because it's like one of the great questions of how we treat marginalization and oppression as white people or as privileged people. Right. And it's like kind of not our business, but it also is like everybody's business. So in that way, the book asks pretty interesting questions for a middle grade book. Oh, I think in most ways it asks interesting questions. I think the point that you made that's like really right on is that you can't do like a one-to-one. The same way it's stupid when people are like, Trump is Voldemort. It's like, that's actually not a good, strong... That's like not even how you should really read books. Well, and it's not an interesting analogy. So I don't think you can... I mean, there's like analogous things. Well, there's analogous things. I mean, Voldemort is such a cartoonish, like, ur-villain... That you can compare him to anyone because his main characteristic is bad. So anyone you think is bad is bad like Voldemort. So that's like it, kind of. We don't have to go into the whole... Yeah, yeah. No, there'll be plenty. There'll be plenty of room to discuss Trump Um, as Voldemort. Although I don't... We've kind of engaged in a little of that. Yeah. Here and there. We compared him to Gilderoy, which I still stand by. I'm really proud of that. But I guess... Fucking outsized charlatan that just, like, <laughs> cannot possibly keep up the ruse much longer. <laughs> okay, the other thing is, I don't know if people know what assault is. What a space salt, not assault. Go for it. Um, I don't know. If you do, like, sorry to potter explain this to you. Salting a factory or something is going into it with the explicit goal of unionizing it. So a labor salt or a union salt is someone who goes in incognito, gets a job somewhere, like in a, you know, like a car factory or like a plant or something, and and actively tries to get the ball rolling on creating a union or like joining whatever the kind of organization would be for that profession. Sorry if that was like really boring. I'm really no, into that's... this shit. <laughs> like I, I like and know a lot about like, labor history and politics. Dobby's the perfect salt. Yeah, Dobby's a a wonderful salt. (laughs) The one moment in these chapters that I love Ron is that Ron fucking loves Dobby. Ron thinks Dobby is so funny and nice and he wants to give him his sweater and he, like, seems to kind of relate to him. Yeah, because Dobby's an underdog. Yeah. 
And oh my god, the cutest thing. The fact that Dobby always calls Harry Harry Potter. Just like, may Dobby come and see Harry Potter, sir? Like, it's just, it's adorable that he always uses his last name. Uh, I I found it interesting that house elves are bound to keep their master's secrets. Yeah. Well, and Winky says that so many times that it is really good foreshadowing Mm -hmm. because it's like, yo, there are secrets in this household. Also, I like that Dobby finally is like, the Malfoys are straight up dark wizards. Poor Dobby has to punish himself then. I know. So he's still like working through some issues. that's the thing. He's not like deprogrammed. It sucks. It's really, really, really damaging for a long time. House elves, man. Ugh, I know. They're complicated. It's This is a rough part of this book. It's hard to figure out how to talk about it. Right, or interpret it, or... Yeah, so... Guys, get in touch if you think we're, like, doing this wrong, for real. Yeah, I would say... There's, like, we get that this is, like, a really challenging part, like, a really challenging thing to talk about, so... Especially if you're a white person. Especially if we're white people, so... Apologies also if there have been, like, hella microaggressions in this section. Please also tell us that. Oof, let's... Get away All from right, steering else. away from problematic seas to the unproblematic topic of gender relations. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> yeah, just boy girl stuff. Yep. First of all, I just want to like make the the kind of God. We're now people are going to be like, "You're so PC." This is a particularly like PC episode, I guess. Um, this shit is so fucking heteronormative, and it's like really annoying to me. So I. Like, a little bit of credit, when I was this age, in, like, the mid-aughts, there weren't a lot of openly gay couples at dances, but there weren't none, either. Yeah, there weren't none. There were definitely... I knew people who were out, and I it was knew... A, it was a pretty bold thing to do. Yeah, I um... went to, like a pretty progressive high school like with a bunch of just like Montessori kids I wasn't a Montessori kid but I went to high school with people I think whose like family I mean you know just whose families were more open and inclusive so there were more out gay folks at my high school I think maybe than most certainly in Phoenix at that time yeah But anyway, the point being, there's just no fucking way that every single one of these kids is straight and, like, trying desperately to find someone of the opposite sex. That's something that people criticize about these books constantly. Yeah, there are apparently no gay people at Hogwarts besides Dumbledore, who who is made gay after, like, retconned into gayness. (laughs) And there's no reason in the books, like, that's a thing that really annoys... Yeah, it's, uh, it's invisible. It's erasure. The, The only... Thing I can think in its defense is McGonagall just says partner. She doesn't specify a gender. Yeah, because she's talking about dance partner. She's yeah. not talking about date. It could be anyone. But you don't say bring your dance girl or bring your dance guy. You don't gender that word. Yeah, you I have guess a dance right. partner. It's not Spanish. They don't have yeah. they don't have gendered nouns yeah, I mean, for that. This book is super straight. All the main characters are straight. I think that's why you see a lot of queer fanfic yeah that's why ship culture is alive and well yeah and uh people want to see themselves uh in literature that they love there's a deep and understandable hunger to see that represented especially in a book series that is about being different and it being okay and being separate i mean harry grows up like in a freaking closet basically oh my god (laughs) that's Uh, true you know um i mean that's a little on the nose i no, I don't I think it's a metaphor. No, no, no. It's I like clearly no, not a metaphor. That yeah, yeah that me saying that is on the nose. But you know, it's about being other from the Muggle world, and yeah. like there's this fantastic place where you belong. So I don't speak from experience because uh, I'm like cis het guy, but I could see how this would deeply resonate if you grew up feeling very different. I guess the other thing I would say is. It's not even just heteronormative in terms of who pairs up with whom. Like, A, yeah, it is all straight couples. And they all end up as straight couples as adults. So it's not even just, like, a bunch of people. And, like, married at 18. Right. And married to people that they met as, like, first graders or whatever. 
So, ugh. But it's also heteronormative in the way that the, like, kind of boy-girl relations are, or, like, the boy-girl kind of characteristics are depicted. Like, it's really caricatured. The girls just giggle. They just (laughs) constantly giggle. And they, like, there's even, like, the trope of, like, they, like, Cho goes to the bathroom, like, with all her friends. And Harry's like, why do girls go to the bathroom together? And it's, like, one of those, like, not bad, like, 90s stand-up routines. Like, girls be like this. Guys be like this. It's just, like, fucking lame. Also, the boys are so stupid in this chapter. (laughs) Just colossally stupid. You know? That's... That's an authorial choice. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, mean, the whole thing is author choices. All author choice. But so I'm wondering if you think these are sort of like caricatures of these relationships or if she's just not being very nuanced. Oh, I don't know. It is kind of it is kind of disappointing to see them slide into these stock characters. Yeah. But I guess that's what gender roles do to you, you know? You make you act apart, right? And like, I do think... I'm sure I've slid into behavior. Same. Like, yeah, like, that you would describe as stereotypical. That doesn't make it, like, less genuine. So I, I, I don't know. Well, I also think... I actually do think this chapter is hilarious. Yeah. It's mostly for comic effect, which I like. And it is also, like, it does develop interesting kind of threads between these three main characters. And mm-hmm. kind of, like, you start tendrilling out to, like, more members of their, like, social circle in, like, an interesting way. A good example, I think, is Neville. Who, Yo. Okay, so here's the thing about Neville. Neville asks out two different girls who he knows and likes to this dance. He asks one person first. He asks Hermione. Hermione says, no, I'm sorry, I'm going with someone else. He doesn't, like, lose his shit at her the way Ron does. He doesn't, like, say, like, with, like, he doesn't say mouth agape, like, there's no way you already have a date or any of this bullshit. Gets turned down, is super mature about it. He's not like, bitch, I hope you die. Yeah, which, like, listen, that's, that's real as fuck. That's absolutely something that happens to women. So, but then he asks Ginny, who's, like, hot and fun and smart and, like, a catch. And she says yes. And Neville is the most mature and, like, cool cucumber in this whole fucking chapter. And then Ron is so mean to him. This is mad, said Ron. We're the only ones left who haven't got anyone. Well, except Neville. Hey, guess who he asked? Hermione! What? said Harry, completely distracted by this startling news. Yeah, I know, said Ron, some of the colour coming back into his face as he started to laugh. He told me after potions, said she's always been really nice, helping him out with work and stuff, but she told him she was already going with someone. Ha! As if. She just didn't want to go with Neville. I mean, who would? Don't! said Ginny, annoyed. Don't laugh. Just then, Hermione climbed in through the portrait hole. Why weren't you two at dinner? She said, coming over to join them. Because... Oh, shut up laughing, you two. Because they've both just been turned down by girls they asked to the ball, said Ginny. That shut Harry and Ron up. Thanks a bunch, Ginny, said Ron sourly. Because and they have, like, a huge laugh about they it. They laugh like, and ah, laugh. <laughs> dumbass Neville. Well, Who'd want to go with him? So they're insulting, like, two of their friends in the same go. Because yeah. A, they're saying that it's cray-cray that Hermione could possibly have a date. And B, they're saying that, like, Neville is so repugnant that a girl will, like, make up any story to avoid going to the dance with him. So A, fucking false because hot-ass Ginny is going with Neville because she's nice and likes him and he's fun and polite and kind. And Hermione has, like, the date. And I'm not even, I know you guys all know, but I'm not even going to spoil it because that's, like, the best reveal in this book. <laughs> like, straight up. And I ship it uh, hard. And at one point, Hermione asks Ron if he'll just, he if he's looking to go with the prettiest girl who will have him, the best-looking girl who will, like, Assent to it, and he's like, "Yeah, hell yeah, I am." Yeah, I think that's Ron just like posturing. No uggos. This is like how Ron. This is like the same as Ron's like weird stuff with his 
brothers. Right. He's just like trying to like look cool, but he doesn't have a really good sense of what will actually like appeal to people. The other thing is there's like this really kind of like little spark of like a moment with Harry and Ginny. Because Ron is like, okay, whatever, Ginny, you just go with Harry. And she turns bright red and she's like, I can't. I'm going with Neville. And you just like reading that kind of from the future. And she's silent when she's like, pointedly silent when Harry t- talk, tells them both about asking Cho out. Yeah, she is. Not happy. Well, because we know that she has a crush on him. And I guess the thing that I think is really decent of her is she could then just be like, yeah, okay. She could go with Harry, which like would be kind of her like dream. But she's like a self-possessed and sweet enough person that she's not going to fucking ditch Neville. Which it just like is a lot of all the girls like I think show more character. Yeah. Even Pavardi when she accepts Harry's invitation is like pretty chill. Mm-hmm. Like she giggle giggle giggles with Lavender. But then she's like alright yeah I'll see if my sister can go with Ron. Which like poor Padma she's in for it. <laughs> but the craziest part of these chapters is when Harry and Ron make a pact to lose their virginity before shut the Shut the f- fuck up <laughs> that does not happen that doesn't happen um who's your unsung hero my unsung hero is mcgonagall just for being no nonsense af and she says that funny thing about letting that the dance is a chance to let their hair down and she's famous for having a super tight bun doesn't seem like she ever lets her hair down will she let it down for the yule ball stay tuned I, I, I just love her in these chapters. She's like, now kids. There's a dance. There's a dance. Yeah, she takes it real lose, seriously. And people lose their minds. She, like, I think that, I think it's funny that she knows they're going to lose their minds. She's like, <laughs> guys, we need to talk. Uh, also, shout out to Dean Thomas for being good at drawing and making like an animated banner of Harry fighting the dragon. I have to add one thing to your McGonagall shout out. Mm-hmm. She gives what seems like maybe the only real homework in the book. So this is their essay topic. Describe with examples the ways in which transforming spells must be adapted when performing cross-species switches. That's like actual fucking theory. I read that. I was like, oh, that seems like challenging real homework. Yeah. So shout out to her. My unsung hero is the sexiest, suavest man in a while that we've encountered. Motherfucking Fred Weasley. Yeah. His asking Angelina out is like kind of swoony because he's just <laughs> so chill about it. So, you not got dates for the ball yet? Nope, said Ron. Well, you better hurry up, mate, or all the good ones will be gone, said Fred. Who are you going with then, said Ron. Angelina, said Fred promptly, without a trace of embarrassment. What? said Ron, taken aback. You've already asked her? Good point, said Fred. He turned his head and called across the common room. Oi, Angelina! Angelina, who had been chatting with Alicia Spinnet near the fire, looked over at him. What? she called back. Want to come to the ball with me? Angelina gave Fred an appraising sort of look. All right, then, she said, and she turned back to Alicia and carried on chatting with a bit of a grin on her face. There you go said Fred to Harry and Ron. Piece of cake. I was just like, this is real hot. And this you know, is the right way. The hottest thing about it is you know he wouldn't have even been mad if she'd said no. Because earlier, when he gets thrown out of the age line from trying to put his name in the cup, he's like all in for Angelina. Yeah. To, to be the Triwizard Champion. I mean, word. The hottest thing is that he seems to genuinely like her as a person and think that she's cool and baller and he wants to go to a dance with her and they are going to make out and maybe get to first base and that is my fanfic. I Like I said a couple of episodes legit, ago, man. I would just read a whole book about Angelina Johnson living her best life. Yeah. So, fuck yeah. Why to- isn't there more Angelina Johnson in these books? I don't know, because we're too busy fucking listening to Ron talk. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All the Ron stands are going to be so mad at us this episode. Well, you know, they're usually mad at us because... 
Ron's Ron has fine. ups and downs. Well, he has also, his ups and downs. Ron is just, he's just a teenage boy. He's like, got some Ron struggles. Ron is not, he's not like uniquely awful. He's just really familiar to me. Like I dated a Ron and I totally fucking put up with it. Man. Like we all do. We all fucking know these guys we and they're just guys. So much more boy girl drama coming next episode. Oh, down I'm the line. so excited. This week's episode is brought to you by Canary Creams. Put a bird on it, which is yourself. Oh my god. <laughs> in the form of a canary. That was good. Do not use with coal mines. Oof. That was wow. Yeah, I feel like you're like the last couple episodes, your jokes are really the canary cream is an on. insane invention. It's amazing. I love it. And then he molts and he's just back. Ne- Neville gets ex- turned into a canary. So Neville body count. We haven't... Uh, oh, we haven't done the Neville body count in a while. No. Actually, though, Neville is doing all right for himself in these chapters. Yeah, man. Neville and Ginny were both so heroic in this chapter that they didn't even make unsung hero. They're just yeah, like they plain were just old hero. hero. Sung. Mm-hmm. They were... Just getting it done. They were. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio, and they are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please do all the shit you do with podcasts wherever you get them. Android, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever. Subscribe. Rate and review if you get them in a place where you can do that. Please leave us five stars if you feel like we deserve them, which we do. I don't know. That might not be true. Sorry, that was cocky. Um, <laughs> Someone's going to give us like one star just, just to, for that. I know. So I'm like, sorry. I, you don't tell me what to do. I do what I want. Well, do what you want. But what you want is to give us five stars. <laughs> These are not the droids you're looking for. Um, I made a Star Wars joke. That's a good one. Kind of. Yeah. We are on the socials. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Quilber Podcast. Our, Should we be on Snapchat? Somebody send us an, some information about whether that's worth our while. Thank you. We basically do what you would do on Snapchat on Instagram. We have the Instagram stories. I know, but maybe we have to have both? I don't know. I don't understand it. I'm a little bit too old. Anyway. <laughs> we also have a newsletter for ye, those of you who enjoy a good old-fashioned email. It's tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast, and we actually sent one out last week yeah we're getting more on a schedule sorry if you're someone who subscribed like two months ago and you hadn't gotten one yet we're gonna do better also you can email us at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com we super love getting mail and next week oh god next week's gonna be so good you guys i'm so excited next week is the yule ball and rita skeeter's scoop see you then thanks amigos But Ron was staring at Hermione as though suddenly seeing her in a whole new light. Neville's right. You are a girl. Oh, well spotted, she said acidly. Just because it's taken you three years to notice, Ron, doesn't mean no one else has spotted I'm a girl.